I kind of felt slightly superfluous after all that's just happened. Um, I'm not entirely sure anything I say is going to add very much to it, but maybe we can kind of reverse engineer what we've just done, and hopefully what we're talking about today, as in the power of God, might explain what some of you just felt, what some of you just experienced, what some of you just witnessed, and hopefully maybe if if I don't speak for too long... (laughs) Um, there might be an opportunity for some more at the end. Um, Andy missed out one incredibly important event that happened yesterday. I just can't understand how, you know, with the whole world's attention focused on it, nobody this morning has mentioned that Celtic did the double treble yesterday. <laughs> what an oversight. Anyway. Um, right, uh, by means of a, of a quick recap, last week we talked about Ephesians. If you don't know where Ephesus is, you've probably been near it on holiday if you've ever been to Turkey. It's over there somewhere. I've never been, but I'm told it's very nice. It's for the ruins. We talked about Paul, who is responsible for a big chunk of the New Testament in the Bible, which we hold very dear here as the Word of God. And he wrote letters to lots of churches where he'd either been to and stayed for a while, like Ephesus, which is why it's written to the Ephesians, because they are the people who came from Ephesus just in case you don't like Glaswegians come from Glasgow. Um, So he wrote all these letters to people, and in the letters he encouraged them, or he told them off, or he corrected them, or he just basically said, hey, you guys are cool, you should know. Um, Last week we looked at kind of three things, and we talked about the kind of JML kind of idea, you can get this, but not only can you get this, you can get that, and not only can you get that, you can get this, and this, and that as well. And Paul kind of layers stuff on, and what he said was, he said, I've heard of your faith, Ephesians, it is solid. Paul was very cool. Apparently, is it, do kids still say solid? Is it solid? They, they did a few years ago, but it all changes. Anyway, uh, <coughs> moving quickly on. Uh, and he prayed for them. He prayed for them to have wisdom. He prayed for them to have understanding and insight. And then, the bit that really got me was he prayed that their hearts would be flooded with light. And I did all this kind of poof, sound effect stuff to try and just get some little idea of what that might mean. So anyway, and I stopped because the next bit, verse 19 into 20, gets really quite big. And I thought, I can't talk about all of that and this because it's just too, too enormous. And Paul really shifts gear now. He goes from quite kind of practical, matter of fact, every day. What's it like to be a Christian? What's it like to have God in your life? What's it like to try and be filled with the Holy Spirit and do stuff? And all of a sudden we go into kind of... I'm going to say this, I'm going to sound kind of very clever. He goes, outside the space-time continuum. <laughs> well, I'll say that again, I love... No, okay. Uh, <laughs> Mrs. Wilson, everybody. <laughs> I love you. Um, anyway, the space-time continuum, he said just normally... Um, that's the only, I mean, it's a Doctor Who phrase. I don't even know if it's a real scientific thing. Any rocket scientists here? Anyone can tell me if space-time continuum is a real thing or just a made-up thing? It's big, right? It means it's kind of not here. It's everywhere and it's nowhere and it's all the places all at the same time and it's really, really big, right? It's not sort of in the natural, as it were. So Paul has moved planes. He's gone from here to up there. And it gets very, very big, very, very quickly. So I'm just going to read this wee bit to you. Maybe we should read the Bible part. That'd be a good idea. Bill, can we have the verse? He's sitting there going, when's the verse coming up? When's the verse coming up? He's like he said, get the verse up. Here it is. Right, here we go. Now, this is is Paul talking to the Ephesians. It's still the letter. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Read that again. You will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. I believe that this morning quite a lot of people just took another 
rung up that particular ladder. You're never going to get to the top, but I think some of us, we just got a little more inkling when we worshipped there and when we prayed for one another of how great God's power for us is. This is the same... (laughs) This is going to blow your head off. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. I know you're awestruck, which is why you're so quiet. I'll read that again. Maybe your awe will recover. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Thank you. And seated him in the place of honour, apologies for the American spelling, at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. We are going to unpack this a little bit. I mean, it's pretty obvious, really. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Other translations have forever. Not just now, but forever. Past, present, future, the whole lot. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. I'm going to come back to that later on because that's the sucker punch. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. And at this point, Paul drops the mic. I'm done. I'll come back for chapter two once I've had a cup of tea and I lie down. (laughs) Okay, um, now you might be asking, how did Paul know all this? Where did Paul get this from? How does Paul just, is he just going to make it up? Does he just think, I think today I'm going to come up with some theology and I will invent something and the whole of Christendom thereafter will sort of just basically revolve around what I'm going to write. Now, I don't know if you know very much about Paul's story, so I'll give you a very, very, very quick background to Paul. Paul was not a nice man. He was a kind of senior, what my mum would call, he's a high hygiene, one of the kind of senior men in in the the Jewish established religion, and he didn't like Jesus. I'm not sure if you actually met him up to this point, but he didn't like Jesus. He didn't like Jesus' people. He didn't like all these rumours of resurrection and the Holy Spirit and power and healing. and He didn't like this at all. So he decided to do something about it, and he went about persecuting the church. He killed people. Well, actually, no, he wasn't even... Obviously, he wasn't even that good. You know what I mean? He wasn't even that brave. He held the jackets of people who killed people. That's how weaselly he was. You're going to kill somebody? Can I hold your coat? You know, that's just how kind of... <laughs> Paul was. So you can understand, Paul was, Paul was on his way to a place called Damascus and all of a sudden heaven opens, zoof, big light comes down, Paul is struck blind and he meets Jesus and Jesus says, hey, why are you giving me such a hard time? And Paul just went, I'm paraphrasing. Um, anyway, Paul went off after this and, and somebody, a nice fellow called, help me, Ananias, that's his name, was basically told, go and see Paul. They went, sorry? Go and see Paul. You mean Paul? Paul, hold your jacket, I'm killing people, Paul. Yeah, him. Yeah. Go and see him and tell him it's okay. It's going to, God's got stuff for you. So he did. And to cut a long story short, Paul then went away for a bit and he basically received an enormous spiritual download. He basically plugged in some kind of fire wire thing or lightning wire into heaven and God just went, here we go, it's coming. And Paul just came in. Oh, now, I, I was reading this up over the weekend because I had never really bothered about how long this might take, but apparently it could have been somewhere between 3 and 14 years. Scholars, of which I'm not one, disagree. I'm happy to go somewhere in the middle. Uh, so for a while, Paul basically had to just kind of make sense of all this stuff. So this is some of that. We are just getting a little sneak peek into what Paul got from God. Oh. 
So, what is behind all of this insight, all this knowledge, all this light and power that Paul has just been talking about prior to us getting to this bit? And it's all about power. This same power that we read. Could we go back to the, the first bit? Sorry. Thank you, Bill. This same power. This is where it all becomes huge, right? We have gone from planet Earth. We are now into the cosmos. We're into the spiritual realms. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. He's not looking. We are in the outside the space-time continuum. <laughs> I do like saying that, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, cinnamon near you. No, no. Um, okay, now this, this is suddenly just really, really big. And the Ephesians are kind of going, hang on a minute, you were just telling us this was all about us. We could be wise, we could have insight, we could have knowledge and discernment and power to do stuff. And now all of a sudden we're talking about big, huge, enormous stuff. So, this power obviously is the Holy Spirit. Now you've heard of the Holy Spirit, we've heard of the Trinity, the Father... Uh, Son and Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit is the power. It, it's interesting, when you read the Bible and whenever there's some really heavy lifting involved, the Holy Spirit seems to be there or thereabouts. Read Genesis, the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. So when the world was made, it was the Holy Spirit doing all this. The Holy Spirit was like the kind of contractor. That's maybe not the nicest thing to call the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? He was, he was the muscle, he was the, he was the mechanism, he was the power that got stuff done. And they're still doing stuff. So when we want to get something done and we ask God, God, will you do something? It's the Holy Spirit who rolls his sleeves up, gets down and does it. And that is the same power. It's really very, very big. So anyway, what does this Holy Spirit do? Now we're reading this. The Spirit raised the Son of God from the dead. I love the way the Bible just kind of rattles something like that off and moves quickly on to the next bit. Like, oh, that's fine. Just raise the Son of God from the dead. So where are we sitting here? We need to unpack this. The Son of God was dead. That's big. That's not something that just kind of trips lightly off the tongue. Jesus had been killed. And we're not talking about some reanimation thing. We're not talking about defibrillators. We're not talking about something that Marvel might come out. They put special alien drugs in him and his body. This is not about a body. I imagine it's probably quite easy just to bring a body back to life and make it kind of do stuff. This was a spiritual death. Jesus had died and the Holy Spirit went down into death to get him and bring him back. This is not like a helicopter. This is not just standing at the top of a bridge with a rope. Jesus! Down at left. Got it, right? That's cool. It's not like that. This was ripping Jesus out of death. Now, what is death? If you read in the Bible in... uh, I thought I'd written the reference line, but I forgot. Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. All the bad stuff that has ever happened, ever will happen. All the stuff that we just mess up. There's a really good book called... Um, oh, there's a really good book. It's really good. You should read it. One of these days I remember what it's called. Unapologetic. A guy called Francis Stufford. Stufford wrote a book called um, Unapologetic. And he talks about the human propensity to stuff things up. That's what sin is. We all have in us that capacity to get it wrong, to do it wrong, to make it bad, to make it worse than it is. If you take all of that and everything, that's what death was there. That's basically what it equals. Sin equals death. So when we talk about sin and we talk about death, we're kind of talking about the same thing. It's the death of life. It's a horrible, dark, miserable, suffocating place. And the Holy Spirit went right down there to find Jesus and that power, Father Son and spirit in community, in family, 
he came out. That's big. That is not just what do I do tomorrow morning when I'm on the bus. This is big stuff. Now, you might think, well, that's pretty amazing. But then what happened is that the Spirit seated Jesus in the place of honour at God's right-hand side. I'm not sure how familiar you are with, with ancient cultures, but sitting at the right-hand side of the king was the best possible place you could ever be. There was no higher honour other than being the king than sitting right next to the king. That's where the expression somebody's right-hand man comes from. Okay? So the Holy Spirit brings Jesus up from death and basically pulls out a chair next to God and says... Jesus. And Jesus sits down. And God says, Hi, son. It's lovely to see you. Or words to that effect. Probably angels were doing something in the background. But then God decides, That's not enough. It's not enough for my boy. He deserves more than this. And God put Jesus not just above, but far above. Any ruler, any authority, any power, any leader, anything, anything you can think of, Jesus is above it. Not only in this world, but in the world to come, like I said, in the future as well, which is quite impressive. And just in case you fail to grasp just how far above Jesus is now, Paul then says, and everything else is underneath him. Just in case you didn't quite grasp that if you're above everything, that means everything is underneath you. But there you go just to make sure that we all get it. There is nothing about over which Jesus is not supreme and in, in control and the authority over. Absolutely nothing. And I know it doesn't feel like that all the time. Sometimes it feels like, where's Jesus gone? But he is there. And we'll explain a little bit more of that in a minute. Paul goes on to tell us everything else is under him, under his authority. So, to recap, the Holy Spirit took Jesus, the Son of God, from death into the presence of God the Father, and God the Father put Jesus, the Son, above everything and made him head over all things. This is what a way to work as family. Yeah. You know, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, it's one of these, the mysteries of the Trinity of the Godhead, which we just, we all struggle, and we come up with metaphors, and we come up with examples, and we try to explain what it really is like, but they just love one another. And they support one another. And not one of them thinks the other one is not as good as they are. And they are so supportive and strong and wonderful together. And it's a wonderful picture of how we should be doing church. It's a wonderful picture of how we should be family together. We always think everybody else is worthy of more than we are. And we support one another to the right, right to the end. So, why... Why did the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus the Son, do all this? Right? Is it still there? I want to draw your attention. Can we go to the next bit, please, Bill? Yeah. I want to draw your attention to the tail end of verse 22. God has done all this, put all things under the authority of Christ, made him head over all the things for the benefit of the church. Sorry. <laughs> for us. For the benefit of Phil Askew. For the benefit of Steph. For the benefit of Phil and Ro. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. What's your name? Jess. Jess. For the benefit of Jess. Yes, yes. Right? God did all of that for us. 
Not for one another, not for the, the Trinity. The Trinity would have probably been quite happy just doing things the way they did, because, you know, they're all supreme. You don't really need much else. But they did it for us. That, that in itself is just awesome. And then the next bit is one of these bits that Paul kind of goes on about a lot. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, we, we, I don't know, if you've been brought up in a church background like I have, you've always been told that the church is not the building, the church is the body of Christ. Right? And that kind of, you get brought up in that all the time. But that actually means that you are the arms and legs, the feet, the hands, the mouth, the ears of Jesus. And then when it says, who fills all things everywhere with himself, that's us too. But what it also means is that no matter where you go, no matter who you meet, no matter what situation you're in or difficulties you face, Jesus is already there. I remember once uh, when I was a, a student, I was in a, a kind of communal flat which had been designed by people, I think, from East Germany, just straight out of the Cold War. It was the most utterly depressing building you've ever seen. All the windows had that wire mesh through them. It was grim. And we, we used to, there was about eight of us in this flat. We all had our own little rooms, and then we had a communal living room at the end. And there was a guy there, I can't remember his name, a nice fella, but he was very, very intellectual. And he, he knew that me and another guy in, in the flat went to church and were Christians. And he hated Dundee with a passion. And he particularly hated this flat with a passion because it was just so grim. And he used to just talk. And he would, once he had a wee drink in him on a Friday night, he would go on about, I hate this godforsaken place. And then he would turn around to my friend Malcolm and I say, with obvious exceptions. And it, that, I, that thing stuck in my mind, that phrase, godforsaken. God has not forsaken. The fact there is only one instance you will hear where God forsook, abandoned, left things alone, withdrew, stopped. And that was on the cross. Every other microsecond of history, gone, present, future to come, God is there. He is not forsaken anybody. So when he says he will fill all things everywhere with himself, you can't go anywhere and not find Jesus already there. And you know in the Ephesians, oh dear, later on in Ephesians, I do tend to wander about, I am sorry, later on um, in Ephesians, Paul talks about sort of planting love bombs. He doesn't call them that. He says, preparing good works in advance for you to do. So Jesus walks around your life, two or three paces in front of you, planting little things for you to do later. You're going to like this one. This is going to be really good. See when he stands and this and this goes off. This is going to be brilliant. This is going to be an opportunity for you to love somebody. Am I going to really mess up the PA in a minute if I keep wandering? I'm all right, good. And that's Jesus. Jesus is going ahead of you. And not only does Jesus go ahead of you into all these horrible, crappy situations, but you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you too. You have two-thirds of the Trinity. And you have God in overall watch. What can go wrong? The only thing that can kind of go wrong in that equation is probably us when we don't listen and we don't do as we're told and we just think, I can't do this. So, I have missed out a huge chunk of this, which is probably just as well because we've been on for too long. If you want the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, which, which, as people sit here going, I don't think I'll bother. No, it's, 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 I'm, I'm unhappy. I'm, I'll just cope. It's, it's okay. If you want that power to sit next to you on the bus tomorrow morning or on the train on the interwork, I always have a thing whenever I speak that if I can't give somebody something that makes sense tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock when you get up and you're feeling awful, 
then what's the point of you know, having a wonderful time on a Sunday if it doesn't make any difference to Monday morning? So I hope this will give you some encouragement. If you want that power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, to be sat next to you on the bus in the morning or the train or in the car seat next to you, if you want the right words to say to that person at school who gives you a hard time all the time, if you want the right um, things to say, if you want insight into that person who just looks so sad and you've no idea what it is and every time you ask them what's wrong they just say, nothing, I'm fine. And their face is screaming, help me. Ask the Holy Spirit. If you want to shine a light into the darkest corners, remember we have our hearts flooded with light from last week. Excuse me a minute, I'll get the microphone out of the way. You can take that power into all of these situations and you can make a difference. You can heal hearts. You can love the people that nobody else loves. You can look at the emotional and physical needs that people have and do something about it in Jesus' name. Because it's got to be something more than just feeling nice on a Sunday. It's got to be something more than just feeling overwhelmed with joy when we worship. It's got to have a practical application. And it's got to mean that tomorrow morning when we get up... Now, I don't know when your Monday morning starts... When I was a teacher, it started in about an hour. You know, you start that slide into Monday morning, and it start, and you just go, and it just feels worse and worse. And then you start to remember all the things you should have done and you were going to do over the weekend, but you didn't do because you put them off because oh, time for that Sunday afternoon. Sunday afternoon comes along and it's oh no. I want to say that God has great confidence in you. Because he did all of this for you. He sent the Holy Spirit into death itself to rescue Jesus, bring him up, seat him at the right hand side of God, and God placed him in authority over everything for you, so that at the very least of it, you can cope with Monday morning. And God God would be fine with that. If that just means that tomorrow morning is a much better day than it should be, or it could have been, or it might have been, Jesus would say, well, that was all right. Good job, well done. But you need to have a bit more confidence in me. We've done all of this. What could you do now? And I'm saying this as much to myself as anybody else, because Monday mornings, even even now when I work in a shed in my back garden, Monday mornings still have a bit of a... hmm. But I think confidence is really key. And when I was preparing this, and when I was sitting through there this morning praying about what I was going to say today, one thing came right into my head. I thought about that student flat situation and I thought about people in this church who either are students or who have uh, children or brothers and sisters who are, are studying at university. And it's probably the most brutal, hostile environment to be a Christian is a university. Because there'll be all sorts of people telling me, oh, well, that's nice for you. You've got your imaginary friend to talk to. You know, you believe in fairies, do you? all that kind of stuff and it can really hurt and it can really get into your heart and it seeps into your soul and seeds doubt and seeds despair and seeds a lack of courage what we'd like to do this morning is to pour courage back into you and say look this is real how do you know it's real? because people get healed because people get insight and wisdom people hear God talking people suddenly magically just appear at the right place at the right time to rescue somebody and to speak into their lives and do something miraculous you know, and if you hang around these guys long enough, you'll hear lots and lots of stories of that happening. Just chance encounters, no such thing. And it's real. And I think for a lot of us, what we want is reality. We don't want to just 
have a head knowledge that God loves us and the Holy Spirit's there. We want it to be real. We want to see it. We need proof. How many of you in your darkest hour have said, God, could you just do something to prove you're still here? We've all done it. I mean, every single person in this room has felt the same way. So, I will, I'm just going to read this back to you again. Bill, can we go back to the beginning? I pray, and I'm praying for us, all of us, myself included, that we will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us because we believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all the things for us. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself.